Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Commercial Connection Podcast. My name is Spencer Taylor, your host. I am with Mill Creek Commercial Properties, and it is our pleasure this week to have a new friend that I've recently become acquainted with on the show, Shanae Mabry. Shanae, say hello. Hello. Hi there. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Shanae is a vice president and regional, a regional sales executive with Old Republic title. She heads up the 1031 exchange department over there. She is also a certified exchange specialist um, with the designation CES through Federation of Exchange Accommodators. She's not only incredibly intelligent, but all about customer service. So Sinead, Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. It's really my pleasure. Well, today we're going to be talking about reverse exchanges. And so my favorite. <laughs> so the typical the most people when they do an exchange, they sell a duplex and they hold their funds with a QI. And then they identify a different property and then they buy it. And that's like the very common simplistic 1031 exchange example, right? Correct. So walk us through what is a reverse exchange? Does it have the same deadline, uh, calendar deadlines as a normal uh, 1031 exchange? And by normal, you know, sell one, buy another. And, and, Give us a little bit of info on just some, some of the not so known nuances of, 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 of a reverse exchange. So a reverse exchange is like you said, where the exchanger, the taxpayer plans to buy the replacement property before they complete the sale of the property that they're intending to sell. And the IRS allows for this to occur, but they don't actually allow for the exchange or the taxpayer to own both the buying and selling properties at the same time. So hence the reason for the reverse exchange and the real need for a qualified intermediary because uh -huh. we're going to become the actual legal title holder to one of the two properties involved in the transaction, whether it be the property being sold or the property being purchased. So with the exchange yeah. first method, this is where the exchanger actually will go directly into title on the property that they're intending to purchase. And then we go into chain of title on the property they're going to sell. So that's the exchange first method. And then the exchange last method is where we actually will take title to the replacement property that they're buying and the exchanger remains on title to the property that they're going to sell. So why would somebody want to do this? Like, like, what are the scenarios out there that make this a better option than just just doing a, like a like a normal exchange, like a like a sell one then buy another? Why would they want to buy it first and then sell their relinquished property after? Well, you know, it it depends on the marketplace, and for most exchangers, you know, the the challenge in a typical delayed exchange selling first buying second is the ability to actually identify and purchase their replacement property because on a standard delayed exchange 
you only have 45 days from that date of closing to mm -hmm. identify the replacement property that you want to buy. And if you don't identify within that 45-day timeline, it's going to result in a fail to change, which is a taxable event. And same method would apply or same reasoning would apply if they identify and they don't close on what was identified, it's still a failed exchange. So by nature of the reverse exchange, it allows for the exchanger to buy the replacement property that they really want without having to worry about that 45-day timeline, that pressure to really just buy a property for the sake of, you know, not failing. So there is no 45-day identification period when you do a reverse exchange. Is that right? Do I hear you right? Well, it just works in the reverse method. So in a standard delayed exchange, you have 45 days to identify the replacement property. Mm -hmm. Whereas in a reverse exchange, you have 45 days to identify the property you're intending to sell. Okay. So it's just, okay. So it, it, in a, every aspect, there's a, there's a, the same rules apply. You're just applying it in a different way. Exactly. Which also leads to the next point in terms of the timeline. In a delayed exchange where you sell first by second, you have 180 days to complete the purchase of what was identified, whereas in a reverse exchange, from the date that we take title to the, you know, whichever property we're taking title to, they're going to have 180 days to get their relinquished property sold. Sold, yeah. yeah. So is, is a reverse exchange more complicated than a standard delayed exchange? It's certainly more labor intensive, that's for sure. Because as I mentioned, in the reverse exchange, we're actually going into chain of title, and then we're coming out of title on that same property. So what that's going to also mean for the exchanger is we're gonna have two escrows for one property. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the cost obviously can go up and there's a lot more work involved in setting up these type of transactions as well yeah. because they also have to have us added as an additional insurer to their existing homeowner's insurance policy as well okay okay and so are there are there things that are 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 okay so it, it, it's a little more labor intensive it might be a little more complex what are some of the biggest hangups that happen in a reverse exchange that do not happen in your standard uh, delayed exchange? Well, I think the biggest thing is, you know, in the delayed exchange, you're selling first, buying second. So you actually have the capital, you have the equity from your sale to apply towards that replacement property. Uh -huh. In the reverse exchange, you know, this type of structure really works best when you're dealing with cash buyers or if they have, you know, a hard money lender involved yeah. in the transaction. And the reason why I mention this is that if we take title to the property that they're going to sell and the exchanger goes directly into title on the replacement property, the challenge with the structure is that the IRS says the exchange occurs when the taxpayer, the exchanger acquires a replacement property. Mm -hmm. And what that simply means is that whatever the equity is and the property they're selling, 
that's how much cash they have to be able to come up with for the down payment of that replacement property. Right. And then they could finance the balance to close. Right. So if you have a client who's selling, you know, a property for a million dollars and they have $600,000 in equity and $400,000 in debt, but when they purchase their replacement property through a reverse exchange, they have to be able to come up with a minimum down payment of $600,000. Mm-hmm. And then they could finance the balance to close. If they come up with less cash than what they net out, they'll have tax on the difference between what they needed to spend versus, or excuse me, they'll have tax on the difference between what they put down versus what they netted. So, so, it, it, so it's not allowed to buy your replacement property. Let, let's say they're just going, let's say they're going from like a fourplex to another fourplex, right? Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of equity in the, in the property they're selling, but they don't have a lot of cash in the bank. And can they put, can they buy it with like a 3% down, finance 97% of it, put down 3% equity, does that does that meet the requirements when when they do their exchange if they take the rest of that equity uh, in their relinquished property and apply it to the loan on their on their replacement property even though they bought the replacement property first? Well, that's exactly it. Since they bought the replacement property first, the equity is set at the time of purchase. So, okay. you know, in a standard delayed exchange where you sell first, buy second, you have to move all of the equity from that sale mm-hmm. towards the new replacement property. And once you close on that replacement property, the equity is set and it's balanced. Well, the same reasoning applies in a reverse exchange. The equity will be set from once you take title to that replacement yeah. property. Yeah. So in this case, let's say if you have an exchanger who doesn't have the ability to come up with sufficient cash to balance the equity that they're going to net from their sale, then we look at the exchange last mechanic where we as qualified intermediaries will take title to the replacement property that they're buying Mm-hmm. And the exchanger will remain on title to the property they're intending to sell. The challenge with this particular structure is that if they have to obtain a loan to buy that replacement property, most we're just creating a shell entity to buy this property for the exchanger. Yeah. Most traditional banking institutions don't want to lend to a shell entity for the purchase. They'd rather lend directly to the taxpayer. And although the you know, exchanger would guarantee the loan, the lender would still rather lend directly to them rather than to our entity. So that's why, you know, when we have someone who's considering getting financing for the replacement property, you know, if they have a hard money lender, you know, hard money lenders are going to have more flexible lending terms. They'll be more agreeable to lending to our shell entity for the purposes of the exchange. So, and so that adds a, like another level of complexity on the side of the financing is that not every institution out there looks at this and says, oh yeah, this, this is something we do all the time. There, there's, com- there's a level of complexity here that makes it 
would you say more difficult for traditional financing or would you say or would you say it's nearly impossible for traditional financing to fund uh, a a reverse exchange i will say the odds of traditional financing a, a reverse exchange to our entity our shell llc mm -hmm. is very slim unless the exchanger has you know an established relationship with that bank. Yeah. You know, and they look at the portfolio that's owned by that taxpayer and they know that, you know, it, this is okay. You know, we'll make yeah. an exception because of our history and our relationship right. with right. this particular taxpayer. So if, if but more often if, than not, it's not happening. <laughs> so if the, if the buyer, if the buyer's worth like a hundred million dollars and he has like a lot of his assets in the, in that bank and the bank has done their mortgages and, they have amazing pay history, right? The bank will look at that and say, okay, we know who you are. We know what you're doing. You know, we did the financing on your, on your relinquished property seven years ago. Now you want to, okay, we'll do it. Right. But, but for, but, but for most people, they, they need to go somewhere else to increase the probability that their financing is going to, actually just come through for them, right? Correct. You, you recommend, you recommend hard money lender or, I mean, I don't know what other, what other institution out there would lend on something like this, like Bank of America, Wells Fargo. Yeah, typically the Bank of America's and the Wells Fargo's um, won't CD. lend to yeah, they, they won't lend to a, a shell entity. It's more so if you are buying, you know, commercial property, so five units or more, mm -hmm. or commercial type structure where, you know, they're a little bit, the banks are a little bit more comfortable in lending yeah, to a shell true. entity. Residential lending or lenders won't lend to a shell entity for the purchase. They'll only lend to the individual. Yeah. From what we've experienced. Yeah. Okay, so basically, if you're thinking about doing a reverse exchange, <laughs> talk to somebody, <laughs> right? Like, like do Absolutely. your homework. Don't don't just like go in and put an offer in and put it under contract, and then like at the closing table, you're like, "Well, I want to do a reverse exchange." Is that too late? That's pretty much too late. <laughs> And one thing I also want to clarify is that I often get asked the question, well, you know, I purchased a replacement property, you know, a couple months ago, mm -hmm. and now I'm thinking of selling my property. Can I do a reverse exchange? Can I reverse exchange into this property that I previously acquired? And it's still investment for me. And the answer with that is still, you can't do it. It doesn't work for the exchange because remember with a reverse exchange, the IRS allows you to buy before you sell, but you can't own both buying and selling properties at the same time. So, so, so your, your, QI, your QI and your title company, they need to know well in advance, like what your intention is. Absolutely. So like, and okay. I even suggest with clients where they're considering buying a replacement property before they sell when they're looking at a reverse exchange, before they even submit the offer, have the initial conversation with the qualified intermediary to make sure that you're a good candidate for this type of transaction. 
Yeah, that's good. So you're so let's say let's say you're driving down the street and you're like, oh wow, I see I see a property I want to buy. And before you, you know, you know, there's a for sale sign on it and all that, right? And so so before you before you talk to your agent to help you buy that property, talk to your QI. Who else should they be talking to? Their CPA. Their CPA. Good. Why? So they want to have the conversation with the CPA because a reverse exchange is going to be, you know, quite a bit more expensive than a traditional delayed exchange. And if they're having to obtain, you know, money from a hard money lender, their rates are going to be higher. It's uh -huh. going to be, a, you know, much more expensive type of loan to get. So at that point, you want to determine, does it even make sense financially for me to move forward with a reverse exchange once I factor in all of the costs? Is it really a savings to me? Yeah, that's true. Okay, good. Uh, should they be talking with their attorney or not yet or? Not yet. Um, you know, the attorney might be helpful in terms of reviewing if they're coloring a little bit outside of the lines or maybe reviewing their purchase and sell agreement. Yeah. But more than anything, I think the first step, you know, one is the CPA and and to the qualified intermediary before they go through the process of, you know, even submitting an offer, if they have to at some point obtain financing to complete that purchase. We want to make sure that, you know, are you balancing out the equities? Are you going to be a good candidate for reverse exchange? Because the last thing you want to do is find yourself, you know, so far down the rabbit hole. And then it turns out, you know, this isn't the right option for you. Maybe you're not the, the right candidate for reverse exchange and you're going to leave yourself with you know a substantial tax bill at the end yeah well Sinead this has been so helpful let's end let's end asking asking you what are what are the few most common questions uh, you get when someone's looking at doing a, a reverse exchange Oh, that's a good one. So I think some of the most common questions that we get are, you know, one, how does it work? <laughs> Which you um, explained two, it really well here. Thank you. But, you know, the, the other question that I'm often asked is, well, can I avoid using a qualified intermediary if I just have, you know, if I, if I have my sibling purchase this property for me and just uh -huh. hold it until I can get my property sold? you know, to avoid the challenges of getting the financing and the additional expenses and escrow costs on the reverse exchange, is this an option? And that doesn't work either um, because the IRS, they call that a step transaction. There's a series of steps that occur to get to this specific end result, uh -huh. but to avoid following the guidelines set forth by the IRS. And so, you know, they can collapse the transaction and still disallow the exchange. And also, things get quite a bit tricky when you involve related parties, and the IRS has guidelines in place with respect to related parties in a transaction. So, you know, all that to say, you certainly want to use the services of a qualified intermediary to make sure that you're going to have a bona fide reverse exchange that's going to be upheld under scrutiny of an IRS audit. And, and we call that safe harbor, right? Like... Correct. Making sure, making sure you're in the, you're 
like like you mentioned, like you're coloring inside the lines and these lines have already been defined by the IRS. And if you stay in these lines, then you're good. Exactly. You go outside of the lines and like, it's almost like the Wild West. Like no one knows. Well, that's when you that need to call the, the attorney. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. Okay. Anything else you want to share on common questions you get with uh, reverse exchanges? Well, and I think we covered the the majority of the questions that really fall in with respect to reverse exchanges. You know, how does it work if I don't have the cash or if I need yeah. to get financing involved in a transaction? You know, if you have clients who have the ability to buy cash, they're going to be great candidates because then we can take title to either of the two properties involved in the transaction. At that point, it's just a matter of what makes the most financial sense for the exchanger for us to take title to. Well, I think the two nuggets that I came away with is number one, the day you decide to buy your replacement property before you sell your relinquished property, the equity, the equity numbers and the total value have to be aligned on that day. So you have to come Correct. in with the amount of equity you have and it has to be worth uh, at or what you're expecting at or above what you're expecting to sell your relinquished property at. And then number two, traditional financing is not always the best solution because of the, the way title is held and the complexity of doing a reverse exchange and all of that. So you've got it. Talk to your QI. You got to talk to your QI. <laughs> and we love talking to our clients. <laughs> and, and Shanae, what's, if someone has a question about this, um, are you able to help them even though, well, you live in California, right? I live in California, but I always tell clients, don't let my uh, location scare you away. I can operate across state lines no matter where the property the client's located well good well what's a good way for them to reach out to you how can they how can they connect with you so they can connect with me via email my email address is my first initial and my last name which is s m a b like boy r i e at old republic exchange.com they can also contact me directly my office number is 888-677-1031. And I'm also happy to connect on LinkedIn. That sounds great. Well, Shanae, thank you so much for educating us. We appreciate the content. And, you know, I think anyone tinkering with the idea of doing a, a typical delayed exchange may not be that far away from needing a reverse exchange in their future, right? Exactly. And so great content. Thank you for sharing. And to all those who listen, we sure appreciate you. If you haven't done it already, go on to iTunes, like our show, share our show. Man, during this Christmas holiday, that would be the best present you could ever give us. We sure appreciate you. Thank you for listening. And until next time.